This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. We're still thinking about the Mueller report and the parts we have not been allowed to see. It's not the only government document with blacked-out parts. Are all of those redactions really necessary to protect our national security? Or are they part of a cover-up, maybe of crimes by our leaders or of actions that would embarrass the president or his appointees? Karen Greenberg has been thinking about that. She's director of the Center on National Security at Fordham Law and author of the book Rogue Justice, The Making of the Security State. She's also a regular contributor to Tom Dispatch and The Nation, and she also writes for the L.A. Times op-ed page. Karen Greenberg, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Well, the Mueller report is 448 pages long. How many redactions are there in it? Yeah, there's just about 1,000 redactions um, on about 40% of its pages. So um, I would say that's a considerable amount of redactions. Now, they have to give reasons for every redaction. What have they told us about why these 1,000 passages were not allowed to see? They're told us a variety of things, basically four categories, but what they actually come down to is um, grand jury material that they say can't be reported um, and things that would tell you about other um, sources or compromised sources. So it's kind of the standard thing that you hear when we when they tell us why things are withheld, why things are redacted. And it's um, confusing, intentionally confusing, and it sounds like they're telling you specifics, but these are actually can be very broad categories. You know, what is it from the grand jury that had to be redacted? What is it that had to be redacted about a person? How many persons might it have compromised or given us too much information on? What it would tell us about, you know, one of the things they're worried about is ongoing investigations and how it might compromise ongoing investigations. Those can be very, very large categories. And what you'd really like are more narrow, more specific, um, and, and therefore more illuminating categories about why they needed to redact. And where do we stand today on the effort by the House Judiciary Committee to see the full report? Well, it doesn't look like they are going to be able to see the full report. You know that Jerry Nadler has been very insistent that he wants to see it, um, and he hasn't been able to get the response he needs. And this is all part of just a larger attempt by this government to basically say the public does not have a right to see uh, certain things, and in particular things about the president and this administration. And this problem of excessive secrecy of blacked-out pages in government documents it isn't just the Trump administration that's guilty of this. These are the, just the latest examples of a problem that goes back long before Trump. And in your piece for The Nation and for the L.A. Times, you have cited some of the more notorious examples of withholding information from the public. One of them, the most important to me was the 9-11 Commission report on the World Trade Center attacks had some deletions. Right. It was on the joint congressional inquiry into basically the failures to prevent al-Qaeda's attacks on 9-11. And there were 28 pages about Saudi Arabia that were blackened out um, in, in the report and, you know, for years. And so it set the template, I think, for a lot of, of opening the door 
to the idea that redactions came hand in hand with what we were and weren't going to know about the war on terror from before 9-11 all the way through uh, to the present day. But it's certainly not the only time in American history that things have been redacted. And I think it's important to say there are certain things that need to be classified. There are certain things that, that do um, protect national security. And the, when, you, when you expand that category, so what? wide, that you um, make people doubt that you're doing it for really for national security, as to uh, you alluded before, to um, not embarrassing um, a government, not letting illegal and extra legal activities that went on by the government at the hands of the government be exposed. Then you begin to erode the public trust in the government saying, we have the right to classify, this is what we're classifying, and this is why. And so it's not just about the withdrawal of information. It's about the very fragile, at times, uh, conversation that goes on between a government and its citizenry. And in the United States, we have a wonderful law, the Freedom of Information Act. It says that in a democracy, not only does the government belong to the people, but the government's information belongs to the people. And According to the Freedom of Information Act, the government has an obligation to give any person, not just citizens, any person, any information in government files that they request unless unless it falls under that small number of areas, which we all agree should be exempt, personal privacy, I'm not allowed to see your tax returns, national security information, which if released would endanger the national security of the United States. Those are the biggest ones. You have looked at how much classification is going on now, how many pages reviewed under the Freedom of Information Act are being have been withheld lately. What did you find? So what's really interesting about this is how much classification uh, grew exponentially after 9-11. Between 2001 and 2005, the number of government documents classified per year actually doubled, and it has kept going apace, even during um, Barack Obama's time. And, and you know, President Obama made it very clear when he came into office that he wanted to reverse this sense of more and more government secrecy and to have as much transparency as possible. And it, it really turned out that the, the mechanisms that produce this kind of classification and overclassification just stayed just stayed in place. And so we dealing now in a world where there is the the re- I think the way it feels is that the safe thing to do is to classify. And the um and the penalty for overclassifying is what? Nothing. And so if you're a, an official and you're in the position of classify or not classify, it seems that the decision goes towards classification. That's how it feels on the end of this in- exponentially increasing number of government documents. Yeah, I learned from your work that the number of documents classified secret or top secret under Obama is 77 million. How is it possible to stamp top secret on 77 million pages? Well, it's a lot of different agencies and a lot of different departments, and it's a very good question. I mean, you think about the the number of um, work hours that are dedicated to this kind of classification, and it tells you something about what has happened to our government. We've learned from other sources that some of the official claims 
of national security exemptions actually conceal misconduct, violation of the law, war crimes by Americans. For instance, the reports on CIA torture at black sites were withheld from government documents. We learned about them from other sources. So this is where my interest in the redaction first first came into being, which was looking at the materials on torture, the memos that had authorized it, the reports that were written by the military about Abu Ghraib, and then later ones that were written about the, the CIA-enhanced interrogation program. And more and more what you'd find was uh, redaction after redaction after redaction. And just to your point is, don't we need to know as a country what we've done so we can think about either how to redress it or how to address our allies or to understand our standing in the world. I mean, there are, there are vast uh, ramifications of having this kind of secrecy about what we've done to others in the world. Um, and so this, is, this has been going on in a way that I think we've gotten rather complacent about it. Um, and look, the torture report um, that was done by the Senate, we never got to see. We've seen 600-page executive summary, but we haven't seen the rest of it. We know that, um, that tapes were destroyed uh, at the command of a high official in the uh, Central Intelligence Agency about um, that, that documented um, the torture itself. So the erasing the record uh, for reasons of not letting people know what was done in their name as citizens of the United States um, has been a consistent theme uh, since the beginning, at least since the beginning of the war on terror. And how's it going under Trump? Well, now, now this is a whole different level because in addition to having um, an issue of redactions, as you brought up in, in the Mueller report, we have a, a profound and pervasive sense that information, that the American people don't deserve to have information and there's no legitimacy to their having to have information. What you're seeing going on right now with executive privilege, people not testifying before Congress, whether it's Don McGahn or whoever it is, then you're starting to see... The, the bottom line there, the, the statement in the background is, we don't need to tell anybody. We don't need to have our information out there. We can protect ourselves from that. That is pernicious road to go down. And it has everything to do with journalists and you know how important their mission becomes to try to figure out what's going on. Um, and I think, therefore, in addition to redactions, the other side of this is the degradation of the press and the media. And it gets even worse under Trump. We've been talking here about preventing the public from learning what's in government records. Trump is starting a new policy of not even creating government records. I do think it's a major issue. I think... um one of the things that happened is there are categories of reporting that government has traditionally done as an act of um, reporting to the public that are no longer there. For example, the um, targeted killings and lethal drone use um, by the government, by the military. These were published under Obama. They are not published anymore. The same thing with civilian casualties, not wanting to report civilian casualties, which has always been problematic, but taking it to a new level, which is we're not going to publish these, we're not going to record these, we're not going to have these anymore, and which also brings us to the point of, as you know, President Trump has on many times made it clear that he thinks that people at his meetings, at meetings with him who take notes, are violating some kind of code, when in fact, the responsible thing to do, for example, if you're a lawyer, is to take notes, to be able to refer to them, to be able to create a record of fact. The undermining of, of a record, the undermining of facts, is actually 
actually something that is is important to a society's narrative, to the consciousness of a culture, um, and all of this is being intentionally compromised. Karen Greenberg, she wrote about the spread of government secrecy for Tom Dispatch, also for the L.A. Times and The Nation. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.